Today we continue with Perek Bet of Megillat Esther. We learned in Perek Aleph of the excessive and lavish party of Ahasuerus that he threw and in so doing tried to celebrate Vashti. She did not come at his beck and call and as a result she was punished and banished from the kingdom. And from there we pick up today with Perek Bet. Perek Bet is split up into three sections. Section number one running from Pasuk Aleph to Pasuk Dalid in which we see Ahasuerus' response to what he did to Vashti and how he wants to make up for it. Part 2 runs most of the Perek from Pasuk Het, Pasuk Kaf, in which we see Esther becoming the queen and the process in which she was interviewed, so to speak, in which she participated in the beauty pageant. And part 3 of the Perek is the last three Pesukim, Pasuk Kaf Aleph to Pasuk Kaf Gimel, in which Mordechai saves the life of Ahasuerus, from the plot of Biktan Veteresh. So we begin Pasuk Aleph. It was after these things, after the punishment of Vashti, and the king comes down, and it says, when the anger of the king is mitigated, and it seems to be a double entendre, not only is it that his anger was mitigated, but he also is now sober from his drunken stupor, and he thinks about, with Yishuv Da'at, with a clear conscience, what exactly he did to Vashti, Zacharit Vashti, he remembers Vashti, Asat, and all that he did to her, and everything that was degreed upon her, coming to the realization that the punishment seems to have been too harsh for the crime. Nonetheless, it was decreed, and the king needs to move on. Pasuk bet, and the Na'arim of the Melech, the advisors of the king, his servants, those who would give him counsel, those who again were on the inner circle, advised to him and said that the king should gather all of the beautiful women in the countries and bring them for a beauty pageant to see who would be fit to be the queen in place of Vashti. And so the king does, Pasugimel v'yavket ha-melech pekidim v'chol medinot ha-malchuto v'yikbetzu et kol na'ara b'tula tovat mare el shushan habira el bet ha-nashim el yad hege seris ha-melech shomer ha-nashim v'naton tamrukehen. And so the king, v'yavket ha-melech pekidim, the king appoints representatives, those who would go out and gather all of the beautiful women from all of the 127 provinces and bring them to Shushan, to the house of the women, the place where the women would get ready to present themselves to the king. And they were under the auspices of a man named Hege, who will later on be called Hegai. Siris HaMelech Shomer HaNashim, he is in charge of the women. Venaton Tamrukehen, and he is the one that would give them their perfumes and all of the things that would allow them to beautify themselves and to prepare themselves to come before the king in this beauty pageant to see who would replace Vashti as the queen. It seems when you read the Pasuk that the king automatically accepts again their advice. It's almost as though the Megillah paints Ahasuerus as a man who does not have his own opinion. He takes counsel of the advisors when he wants to do something with Vashti. He takes their advice. It doesn't seem to be an opposing opinion. 
He takes their counsel when he wants to replace Vashti. That doesn't seem to be an opposing opinion. Ahasuerus is beginning to be painted as a man who was very whimsical and who is gullible, who goes with what people tell him and doesn't seem to have much of a backbone himself, which is very telling of how the Megillah and the story, the plot, pans out. The Megillah continues in Pasuk Dalid. And the plan is that the girl who finds favor in the eyes of the king will be crowned instead of Vashti, which was the plot, which was the plan to replace her. And the plan is good in the eyes of the king, and so is done. And if you remember beforehand in Pasuk Aleph, in Perek Al Pasuk Yutet, it said, that the king should give the kingship of Vashti to a woman who is better than her. This seems to be what that exactly happens. Somebody will be replacing Vashti as the queen. And so we end part one of the Perek, which introduces the council, the idea to replace Vashti. Part two begins, Pasuk He. Ish Yehudi. There was a man from Yehuda, although we will clarify later on in the Pasuk that he's actually from the tribe of Binyamin, but it seems to be that he was part of Galut Yehuda, he was part of the exile, and inasmuch he is called Ish Yehudi. He lives in Shushan Habira. Ushmo Mordechai, and his name is Mordechai. Now the fact that he lives in Shushan Habira could possibly insinuate that he was part of the kingdom, that he had some role in the kingdom at the time. And his name is Mordechai, which is actually from the name Marduk, which is one of the gods of the Bavlim. It was not uncommon that at the time the Jews named their children secular names. And Mordechai seems to come from that name. Ben Yair, Ben Shimei, Ben Kish, Ishimini, the son of Yair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, Ishimini, a man from Binyamin. He is from the family of Shaul, who, of course, we know was tasked with the destruction of Amalek in Sefer Shemuel Aleph, Perek Tedvah, which he does not do. And it seems to be that now that. Failure is going to be rectified with Mordechai, who is going to now tackle Amalek in his battle against Haman. The next pasuk, pasuk Vav, qualifies what we mentioned in pas- previous pasuk, pasuk He, with regards to the galut that Mordechai was part of. Asher hogla Yerushalayim, im hagola asher hogleta, im yechonya melech Yehuda asher hegla nevuchanetzar melech bavel. Mordechai was part of the Galut from Yerushalayim that came with Yechonyah, the king of Yehuda, who was exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it seems to be when it says Asher Hogla that Mordechai was actually part of the exile himself, although if you look at the time, the timetable, that seems to be very difficult, and it makes more logical sense that he was a descendant of those who were exiled, but nonetheless he is part of the descendants of those who were exiled at the time with Yechonyah through Nebuchadnezzar in Galut Bavel. Who is Mordechai? Pasuk Zayin continues, Vayhi omen et hadasa, hi ester bat dodo, 
כי אין לה האב והאם, והנערה יפה תואר וטובת מראה, ובמות אביה ואמה, לקחה המרדכי לא לבת. And he was the omen, he was the rock, he was the caretaker, he was the educator, he was the legal guardian of Hadassah, who is Esther. Again, interesting to note the names. Some explain that her name growing up was Hadassah, and when she became the queen, she took on a more secular name known as Esther. Others say that she had a secular name and a Hebrew name, as many of us in Galut have today. Her Hebrew name, so to speak, was Hadassah, and her secular name was Esther. Seems to be that Esther is the name of a star in the Babylonian culture, but nonetheless, she has the name Hadassah, which seems to be her Hebrew name, and Esther, her secular name, Bat Dodo, she is Mordechai's cousin, her father, Avichayil, and Mordechai's father are relatives, and they are cousins. Ki'en la'avaim, she does not have parents, her parents seem to have passed away. She is beautiful. And you'll note that the Pasuk here describes her beauty in double language. Which is more so than was described with Vashti. In Perek Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, it says about Vashti, Ki tovat Seems to me that the Megillah is accentuating that Esther is actually more beautiful than Vashti was. And with the death of her parents, she was brought into Mordechai's house as his daughter. He brought her up. He was a father figure in his life, in her life. Pasuk Chet. And it was when the decree of the king reached all of the provinces, it became known that he was looking for a wife or replacement for Vashti. And all of these beautiful women were gathered into the women's house and were put under the auspices of Hegai, and Esther too was taken, and the Lashon Vatilakach seems to imply that she was taken under duress. Esther did not want to go, but the authorities came to take her, and she was under duress, taken to the house of the king, and put under the auspices of Hegai, who was again described as Shomer Hanashim, which is interesting because we already know he's Shomer Hanashim. If I go back to Pasuk Gimal, he is described there as so why is it necessary for the Megillah to repeat it? Seems to be that he had a certain eye on Esther. Shomer Hanashim, he seems to have watched over Esther more so than the others, which is implicit in the next Pasuk, Pasuk Tet, which reads, she found favor in his eyes. He seemed to have a, an eye for her, and therefore he quickly brought her her perfumes and all of the things that were important for her to prepare for her presentation to the king, including seven handmaids to help beautify her and take care of her in the house of the king. And it seems to be he manipulated events to put her at the top of the list, to get her inside with Achashverosh faster than others. Now, Pasuk Yod tells us a little bit about Esther and the difficulties she faced in this entire episode. 
Lo higida ester et amavet mulata ki mordechai tzivalea asher lo tagid. Despite all of this goings on in Esther's life, she did not reveal her background. She did not reveal her parents. She did not reveal her relationship to Mordechai, although it's apparent that to some extent it was known because it seems to be known that Esther did grow up in Mordechai's home, but the extent of their relationship is not clear. She does not reveal that information because Mordechai commanded her not to reveal that information. The word lehagid, as opposed to lemor or ledaber, means to reveal something, to tell somebody something that they did not already know. So, she should not reveal that information. She should not give over the information that people do not know. Every day, Mordechai would walk in front of the courtyard of the house of the women, nobody was allowed in, so he tried to gather as much information as he could from the outside to find out how Esther was being treated, what the status was, where she was in the program of preparing for her presentation, to try and keep tabs on Esther. <laughs> And whenever a girl's turn came, when her, her turn in line came to come to the king, at the end of 12 months, she was beautified for 12 months. Six months, she would be anointed with Shemen Hamor. At six months, with other types of oils and perfumes, and all of the different ways that they used to get these women ready, after one year, she would have her turn to appear to Ahasuerus. It seems to be that it was a year because they wanted to see these women throughout the entire year and all of the seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall, and how they fared in terms of their physical stature, in terms of their beauty, in terms of their health, throughout the entire year. Was the wintertime or the summertime more difficult or more or easier for her before they presented her to the king. And so she went through an entire year of preparation. And when she comes before the king, And with this, meaning with all of this preparation, she would come before the king, and whatever she asked for when she came to him, he would, she would get. He would give her what she requested when she came to the king. So these women would come before him and she would request whatever she wanted and it would be granted to her, which in turn would essentially make her indebted to Ahasuerus. So this was somewhat of a ploy to have the women feel a sense of gratitude and indebtedness to the king, which is important because when we get to Esther, we're going to see a change in that. Pasuk at night she would come before the king and in the morning she would return to a different house, a different area, which was under the auspices of Shashgaz, who was also an advisor or a... a uh, representative of the king, who would watch, who would be over the Pilakshim, 
And she would not, again, see the king unless she was called specifically by name. So it seems to be, when it says, she came in in the evening, then she returned in the morning, it seems to be that Ahasuerus would sleep with these women, and that would be part of what the process was. And if he was not happy, then he would dismiss them, and they would go to a separate holding area, which was again under the auspices of Shashgaz, who would watch over the Pilakshim, now they had a different status, and they would stay there unless called upon by name by the king to appear again, but otherwise they would remain with Shashgaz. And now we hear about Esther's turn. Pasuk Tetvav. When Esther's turn came, and now we actually get her lineage, the daughter of Abichayil, the uncle of Mordechai, who he, whom Mordechai took her again as a daughter. When it came her turn to go to the king, she did not ask for anything. She relied on whatever she had during the preparation time under Hegai, who was again the watcher of these women, and she found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So Esther does not ask for anything, which could be seen on, in two lights. One, she's relying on Haggai, and she's showing him a debt of gratitude. She's saying, I don't need anything else. Whatever he gave me is whatever he gave me, and that's what I need to prepare. And secondly, it could be that she understands that by requesting something, she becomes indebted to Achash and she wants to try and avoid that. Nonetheless, or perhaps because of that, because she has this backbone, because she refuses to take any gifts, she finds favor in the eyes of all that see her. The phrase noset chen is really only found in Megillat Esther with regards to Esther. And she finds favor in the eyes of all who see her. Previously, we saw that she found favor in the eyes of Hegai. And now, again, as they see Esther in her character, seems to be that she finds favor in the eyes of all who behold her. And again, we find the verb in Pasuk Tetzayin, Vatilakach Esther el HaMelech al Bet Malchuto, Esther is taken under duress to the house of the king, into the kingdom, into the palace, in the tenth month, which is the month of Tevet, in the seventh year of the reign of Ahasuerus, the original name for the month, the tenth month, which is Tevet, which is the name later given to the months, again in the seventh year of the king's reign. And lo and behold, as God would have it in Pasuk Yudzayin, Vayehav HaMelech et Esther mikol hanashim, Vatisachen vachesed lefanav mikol habitulot, Vayasem keter malchut peroshah, Vayamnecheha tachad vashti. And the king falls in love with Esther, he loves her more than any of the other women that he saw, and she finds favor in his eyes, more so than any of the other women, and he puts the crown of the queenship on her head, and he crowns her queen in place of Vashti. And it seems to be just about that the process is complete. There are two more Pesukim in this section which will complete that process. And in celebration of finding his new king, Ahasuerus makes a huge party for his servants and for his representatives. And you'll notice the Megillah opened 
והיא בימי אחשוורוש, עשה משתה לכל שריו ועבדיו. Here it says, משתה גדול. It seems to be that the party he makes now is even greater than the party that he originally made in the opening of the book. And this is משתה אסתד. It is the party for אסתד. And there is no separate party. In the beginning we saw he makes a party and Vashti makes a party. Here it's one party in an attempt to avoid the problem that happened the first time around that Vashti was called and did not come. Here they share this party. It's a huge party to celebrate her queenship. And he gives tax breaks to all of the provinces and he sends out gifts to all of the areas under his control to celebrate his new queen. En Esther, Pasukaf, En Esther, Magedet, Mulad, Tahav, Et Amah, Kasher, Siva, Alea, Mordechai, Et Ma'amad, Mordechai, Esther, Arsah, Kasher, Haita, Be'omna, Ito. It says again that Esther did not tell her background, her religion, her genealogy. It's repeated because it seems to me that originally when she went in to be presented to the king, she did not tell anybody. And now that she was the queen, still she's not telling anybody. I might think that now she's the queen and she's forced to or she has to or she feels she needs to or she feels inclined to. She does not. Even as the queen, she holds back this information as was commanded to her by Mordechai. As he is her omen. Again, he is her rock. He was her legal guardian. He was her parent. And so she respects and continues with the secret that he told her to keep, not to give over the information. I'm sorry, I skipped the Pasuk. Let's go back. Pasuk Yutet. When it was... When the, these women, who were originally called to come present before Ahasuerus, were called again, and Mordechai sat in the gates of the king. The Megillah does not tell us why these women were gathered again. There are a few options that the Mifashim discuss. One is that Ahasuerus wanted to choose other Pilakshim to be with, other Pilakshim to have, and so he calls upon a number of them again. Another possibility could be that they were called upon or they came to celebrate in the party of Esther. And thirdly, it could be that these women were called up, some of whom would now become the maidens of Esther. But nonetheless, these women are called upon again. And at that time, Mordechai sits in the Shad HaMelech. Again, as we mentioned before, it seems that Mordechai possibly may be part of the kingdom. And then again, Pasukaf, which we already explained, she does not reveal her secret. And with that, we end the second section of the Pedic, which describes the rise of Esther to the queenship. The Pedic ends, again, with the revealing by Mordechai of the plot of Bigtan Vateresh to kill Ahashverosh, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Bayamim Hahem, Mordechai Yoshe, Bishar Amelech, Chatzaf, Biktan Vateresh, Shene Sarise Hamelech, Mishomere Hasaf, Vaibakshu, Mishlovach Yad, Bamelech, Ahashverosh. And in those days, Mordechai again sat in the gates of the king. Again, it seems to be he was part of the kingship or the kingdom. And Biktan and Teresh, who are part of the advisors, of the king and therefore have the ability to be on somewhat of the inside circle. They are very angry. We don't know why they are very angry, but they are very angry. And they want to kill Ahashverosh. We don't know how. 
And again, we don't know why they're angry, but they do plot to kill Ahashverosh. Mordechai figures this out. Again, the Megillah does not tell us how. It could be that he sees suspicious movements, suspicious actions that are taking place on their behalf. And he figures it out and he tells it, he reveals it again, he reveals the information to Esther, who is now Hamalka, the queen. And Esther tells it to Ahashverosh in the name of Mordechai, which of course sets us up for the climactic moment in the Megillah when we have to now give the kavod to Mordechai, which we'll see later on. And finally, the Perek ends, And the plot is investigated, and in fact, it is found out damning evidence against them that they did in fact plot to kill the king, and they are hanged, which is not uncommon in this place in time that people who commit crimes, certainly against the king, are hanged. And these events are written in Sefer Divrei Amim in front of the king. And of course, again, as mentioned, we will revisit that later. That will be important information as the plot will turn with Mordechai and Haman. Again, Perek Bet, we saw the suggestion of how Ahasuerus should deal with the vacuum of queenship now that Vashti has been banished. The advisors tell him to have a beauty pageant, which he does. He finds Esther, who is the cousin of Mordechai, who is beautiful in the eyes of all. She has wonderful character as well as beauty. She becomes the queen. A lavish party is thrown in her honor. And finally, the pedic ended with the revealing of the plot of Bigtan and Teresh, which puts Mordechai in the memory of the king, which we will revisit later on.